See, Jeff, he's waiting for instructions. I like it. If only everyone would just wait for me to give them instructions, we'd all be better off, wouldn't we? Our topic this morning is one that I have to be honest, more than half of me is saying, Craig, what are you doing? Leave well enough alone. But there's a question that's been perplexing me over the last several years, and I want to explore that question with you. And that question has to do with a word that we all use, maybe differently, definitely inconsistently, and that word is legalism. Legalism involves, for the most part, duty or rigor or demands or discipline. And anytime people talk about reading the Bible or praying or going to church, they they feel a need to preface that by saying, but I'm not legalistic about it. That the, the culture that we are living in, I think that I'm noticing that there is a broadening of the understanding of legalism and what it applies to, and where it goes. In fact, it seems like we are afraid to practice anything to do with our faith in a way that is serious and that has appropriate rigor. That, that in many ways, it seems like the, the people who are ideal in faith are those who say, well, I just don't really take it that seriously. I'm not very legalistic about it. And so I want to explore legalism. And, and, and maybe the, the idea that, that is prevalent now is what John Kohler writes when he says, the gospel does not make demands, nor does it give directions or regulations as to what should happen. And, and is that what it means to be Christians? Is that what it means for me to preach the gospel is to say, once again, there is nothing that Jesus Christ demands of you. Have a wonderful, blessed week. And as we move in this direction, I wonder if our interest in legalism is rooted in the spirit of the text or in the spirit of our age. We live in a culture that upholds unfettered freedom. We believe that the ultimate ideal is to live as an autonomous self without any external person saying, don't do this and don't do that. Any restraint, any rules, Any regulations are understood as repression. The fact that someone would dare tell me no, I can't do that. Our society abhors. Our understanding of liberation is summarized by the phrase, you can't tell me what to do. And I wonder, I wonder if this spirit of our age has somehow been incorporated into how we read the scriptures into how we understand gospel and in how we understand legalism. So I want to explore the virtue of being a people who believe that God has high standards and high expectations for the people who follow him. We're going to use the text, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, as a way to kind of help frame um, the discussion that we're going to have this morning. And so I'm going to begin reading in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And I think our first order of business is to explore this word yoke. And as you look at yoke, there are two completely unrelated meanings. The first is when you see the word yoke, it's going to talk about scales or a balance, and we're going to completely disregard that use of the word yoke. 
But there is another sense where yoke is used, where yoke is talked about this, this frame that is placed on animals. And it's placed on animals in a way to help them in order to bear or carry a load. And so it's used in this literal sense, in this literal way, in Deuteronomy 21.3. The elders of the town nearest the body shall take a heifer that has never been worked, one who has not pulled in the yoke. And so there is this, this, this literal understanding of this yoke being this thing that helps carry and burden a load. But throughout most of the Old Testament, yoke is used in a way that represents, it's metaphorical for a system of rule, specifically a system of rule that people find to be burdensome or heavy. So when Rehoboam became king, the people came to him and said, your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke that he placed on us and we will serve you. They're asking for the yoke to be lightened, to be reduced. Ultimately, he concludes, now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. He's not going to do it. They want less yoke. He gives them simply more yoke. And there were times when Israel saw God's rule over them as a yoke that they did not want to carry or bear. So in Jeremiah 2.24, Long ago you broke your yoke and burst your bonds, and you said, I will not serve. On every high hill and under every green tree, you sprawled and played the whore. There have been times where Israel looks at God and says, Hey, you're trying to put a yoke on us, but we refuse. We are not going to serve that. And every time that Israel did that, God handed them over to a foreign nation. And guess what? The yoke they experienced under those foreign nations were far more heavy and far more burdensome. Isaiah 4, 6, I was ang- or 40, 47, 6, I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your, and this is Babylon's hand. I gave them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. And on the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. So what does Israel do? Israel goes to God and they say, we're sorry that we rejected your yoke. We would rather have your yoke than this yoke that these four nations are placing on them. And they return to God. And so Ezekiel 34, 27, the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase. They shall be secure in their soil. They shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and save them from the hands of those who enslaved them. And so God brings them now once again under his own yoke. But what we see of the yoke in the Old Testament is that God's standards and God's expectations were always present in the life of his people. His yoke was expressed in the Torah, which is his teachings, which we predominantly find in the first five books of the Old Testament. And Israel's choice was simply whether they would live under the yoke of God or whether they would live under the yoke of other people. They never got to bemuse or entertain the question that Shakespeare would ask, to yoke or not to yoke. That's never the question. God says you will have a yoke placed over you. And you must decide whether my yoke is more gracious or whether the yoke of the foreign people. But they never had a yoke-free option. There was never a writer or a teaching that suggested that the people of God could serve under God and do whatever it was that they wanted to do. God had standards. God had expectations for his people. And so with that long history of yoke in mind, we come once again to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you that are weary 
and are carrying a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Of the three verses we're looking at this morning, this is the one with the least amount of complexity to it. Jesus has just finished uh, preaching in Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, and there the people have rejected him. They have rejected his teachings, and they don't believe it's necessary to follow or to abide by the things that Jesus is teaching. And why might that be? I think there's a hint in Matthew eleven twenty-five when Jesus says, I thank you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. There were certain people during the time of Jesus' ministry who influenced how Scripture was interpreted, the Torah, and they also influenced how strongly it was enforced. And those people who are the wise and the intelligent, those who had status in society, could create and structure things in such a way that it was always to their benefit and often to the detriment of others, the poor, the needy, the hungry. And so they reject Jesus as a way to unburden them because they feel no burden because they have a heavy hand in creating the laws and the structures of the land. See, in Matthew 12, right after Jesus gives us these words, we have these two stories about the Sabbath. And in the first, the question is, what happens when hungry people want to eat on the Sabbath? But guess what? When you are the wise and the intelligent... When you are the people who are the haves, not the haves, nots of society, you have never experienced what it's like to really be hungry on the Sabbath because you get your big meal right as Sabbath begins. And so you say, if anybody's hungry during the Sabbath, well, that's just simply their problem. They need to stick to and keep with it because they are able to structure things in a way that's to their advantage. The very next story, Jesus talks about what do you do if there is a, a sheep that has fallen in a pit on the Sabbath? Don't you get it out? And the question is, who has the sheep? Is it the poor, the needy, those who are oppressed in the society? No, it's those who are wealthy who say, man, I've got a a resource I need to protect. So when it comes to their interests, they say, yeah, that's cool. That's allowed. But when it comes to other people, they say, oh, no, no, you're not allowed to do that. And so those who have experienced what it is like to be burdened and heavy laden are those who are left out of how are we going to enforce law and Torah? And to what extent is it? And so Jesus invites those people, the people who realize they're not in positions of power, he invites them to come and to receive rest from him. And when Jesus finishes with this promise of rest, I'm thinking pillows, and I'm thinking mattresses, and I'm thinking vacation, and I'm thinking retirement. And if that's what you're associating with the word rest, there's going to be a brick pretty quickly that comes through the window and shatters your expectations. Because in verse 29, Jesus then says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yoke is a working word. Yoke is a heavy load. Yoke means you have to roll up your sleeves. Yoke speaks of equipment for work, not escape from work. The the only reason you have a yoke is because there is work to be done. There is a load that needs to be carried. And so Jesus, he says there that he does have a yoke. Jesus is not going to pull them out of the difficulty of the yoke, but he is going to be yoked with them. He's going to walk alongside them. He's equipping them to do that, which is difficult. 
a Bible dictionary called Lonida says of the word rest, it says it is, speaks of the restorative character of rest rather than the cessation of activity. In other words, this is the rest of the break room, not the rest of retirement. This is not permanent disability that says you never have to go back to work again. It's saying that there is a way to rest and to pace yourself and to do the work that is before you in a way that is life-giving. And the yoke that Jesus offers, he claims as his own. This is my yoke. And Jesus offers to teach them. And he will teach them what it looks like to live with this yoke that he has. And why would any of us want to learn from Jesus? It says, because I am gentle and I am humble in heart. When it comes to the yoke of responsibility, the focus isn't just on the content of what is requested, but it is on the character of the one who is making the appeal. It reminds me of, this is Sinclair Ferguson's definition of legalism, which I think is pretty spot on. Legalism is simply separating the law of God from the person of God. If we are doing things without understanding for whom we are serving, if we are doing things and we don't understand the glory of the one we are serving, if we are doing things for Jesus without remembering his gentleness and his humble character, then it can quickly turn into legalism. But as long as we remember his nature and his character, the work that we do in service to him, Jesus is saying can be a joy and it can be a delight. I want to explore three scenarios as we look at the difference of the character of the one that we serve. In scenario number one, you decide that Saturday is the perfect time to clean the garage. I've been wanting to do it for quite some time, and you think it'd be just great if I was doing a job and I could actually find the screwdriver. And so you get out and you clean the garage, and it feels great at the end. The end result is you have a clean garage. The motivation was your own internal motivation to do that. But then in the second scenario, your mom says, go clean the garage. And you say, do I have to? Yes. And you go out, and guess what? When you're done working on it, the garage is clean. And yet the entire motivation was just simply because someone made me. Because I had to. But there's a third scenario, and this third scenario is closest to what I think is the gospel scenario. You're sitting beside the hospital bed of a lifelong friend who is dying of cancer. And you say to them, is there anything I can do for you? Anything at all? And he says, I know this is a really small and simple thing, but I know that it drives my family crazy that the garage is not clean. Obviously, I can't do it. They're here. Would you this weekend go and clean my garage for me? And guess what? At the end of that, the garage is clean. But the entire time you're working, it does not feel burdensome. It does not feel heavy. It feels light. Because you're working out of love, and you're working out of delight. And I think this gets to the idea of what Jesus is calling us into, is a kind of a work that is not done out of duty alone, but out of delight. Do you know where energy comes from to do things? Energy comes from our delight. It comes, it's really rooted and motivated in, in love. I mean, imagine getting home at the end of a, a long day of work, and you come in and you say to your husband, you say, I'm just so tired, I'm exhausted, I don't have energy to do anything. And he says, hey, well, do you want to do this? No, I'm tired. Do you want to do this? No, I'm tired. Do you want to do this? No, I'm tired. And then you get a phone call. And it's your best friend in the world who lives on the other side of the country. And they said, surprise, I'm in town. I've got reservations at eight tonight. Can you join me for dinner? How many of you think you say, oh, no, I'm too tired. Energy is motivated on the basis of relationship and of love. And Jesus recognizes this. There is a strong difference between saying, do I get to do this? And between saying, do I have to? to do this. 
And it is a problem. Legalism becomes a problem when we go through our lives saying everything to Jesus that he asks us to do. Do I have to? Do I have to? Do I have to? And yet so many of our discussions seem to revolve around the have-to questions. Do I have to? Do I have to? And yet I wonder what it would be like to see the great glory of Jesus and to be able to do things for his sake. And then we arrive at this final and I think most paradoxical statement of Jesus, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When Jesus says this, we expect Jesus to call less from his people, to ask less of us. We expect Jesus to lower the bar. And can you imagine Someone saying, Jesus is freeing us from the yoke of Torah. And someone saying, that's great news, because my neighbor drives me crazy. I hate the way he walks, I hate the way he talks, and I've been wanting to kill him for years, but I haven't because of the yoke of the Torah. But now that Jesus has removed that, I can kill my neighbor. Or imagine someone saying, well, this is great news, because I have an awfully good-looking neighbor. Is that what Jesus is doing? Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? These standards and expectations, those are all gone. You get to do whatever you want to do now. There are ways where Jesus is dealing with the law. If we look at Jesus' longest teaching, he said, come, come, my yoke is he. Come, come listen to my, my teachings. He wants us to learn from him. And the this biggest text of Jesus' teaching is in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And very early on, Jesus says in verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So to anybody who thinks I can finally murder my neighbor, Jesus says, that's not what I'm teaching. That's not what I'm talking about. He says in verse 20 of chapter 5, For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus seems to be simultaneously saying it's less and it's more. How can that be possible? I think the first thing we need to understand is what Jesus is comparing and contrasting here. It is not grace, which is a gift, versus law, which is demands. What Jesus is contrasting is a distorted understanding of law versus the true, fulfilled understanding of law. And so what Jesus is doing is Jesus is not saying there is a lawless option for you, that there is a demandless option for life there, He is simply saying we need to understand what really is at the heart and the core of it. But there are ways where Jesus does call for less. In Matthew 23, we read this text this morning when Ben was teaching Matthew 23, 1 through 4. And I'm going to go ahead and just um, skip down to verse 4 if we could in the um, scripture reading. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. This is the only other time in Matthew that this, this word about burdens is used. And what Jesus is contrasting is his way of leading and his way of shepherding to those Pharisees. And what they do is they put on heavy, heavy burdens, and Jesus has actually has told them at the beginning of 23, you should listen to them. You should do what they do, but they won't help you. The way Jesus is going to lead us is by helping us to carry the burden. Remember, we are yoked. We are yoked together with him. So we no longer carry this burden by ourselves. So when Jesus speaks of those carrying heavy burdens, he is going to say there will be ways where he will lighten the load. And again, if we look at the very next scripture, Matthew 12, we see ways where he does lighten the load. 
He says whenever the disciples are hungry and they're eating on the Sabbath, he says Sabbath is, 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 not, is, is made for man. And so the Son of Man is recognizing there's a true intent here with Sabbath that has been mis- misunderstood. And so Jesus wants to fulfill the understanding of Sabbath. The very next text where we have a man who is paralyzed. And Jesus then brings healing to him as they're asking, is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath? Jesus says, absolutely. You've misunderstood the Sabbath if you believe that it's best for people to remain in their suffering in the Sabbath. See, what Jesus does is in some ways he lowers. He lowers the burden of unnecessary expectations. He lowers the burdens of those who don't understand what it is like to be the oppressed, the neglected, the poor, and the forgotten. This understanding, I think, continues into the New Testament. Um, Acts 15, 10 through 11, Galatians 5, 1 through 3, both talk about how following Jesus involves the removal of the yoke. In those contexts, yoke is talking of specifically about circumcision and about this obedience to the ceremonial aspects of the law. And so there are ways where when Jesus calls us to follow him, there are ways whenever he says, following me, there will be less expectations and demands. But we also need to realize that there are times when Jesus will call for more of us and not less. Look at what he does in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 21. Jesus says, you know what, regarding anger, what does Jesus do? He he takes their understanding of what they are to do with anger, and he says, it's not do not murder, but it's do not get angry. And he raises the expectation. Regarding adultery, he said, you should not, it is said that you should not commit adultery, but everyone who looks at a woman with lust in her heart has committed adultery. Is he lowering or is he raising the expectation? He once again is raising. Concerning oaths, he said, you heard that you should not, not swear falsely, but I say to you, do not swear at all. And once again, Jesus raises the standard. What is the likelihood that somebody listens to the Sermon on the Mount and says, wow, this sounds like it's going to be much easier than what I was doing before. Would they say, Jesus, thank you for removing the burden of the law? Or would they say, you know what, Jesus, you seem to me more like Rehoboam, who seems to be calling more from me, expecting more from us. In fact, could you ask for anything more than what Jesus asks for in Matthew 10, 38? Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus' invitation is not for us to abandon standards and expectations. But it is for us to understand that the yoke is a gracious gift. There's nothing arbitrary about Jesus' call. We are called to come to him. And I think that a part of coming to him means that we have to throw off the spirit of our age that idealizes the yokeless life. It is very hard to follow Jesus. It is very hard to be a part of a community of believers and believe you can't tell me what to do. Because following Jesus, in fact, says you can tell me what to do. And whatever you tell me to do, I will do with my whole heart and mind and soul and strength. We accept that his yoke was never meant to burden us unnecessarily, unduly. But he is calling for us to accept his yoke. And in order to do that, we have to 100% trust who he is, his identity, his character, and his mission. If we believe he cares for us, 
If we believe that he is willing to lie down his life for us, then we too will take the yoke that he has given us and we will faithfully serve him. And maybe as we understand who Jesus really is, we might be able to stop asking ourselves, do I have to? And start to see his yoke as a gracious blessing to us. I think the words of C.S. Lewis are kind of a good place for us to conclude. C.S. Lewis says Christianity is both harder and easier than all we're trying to do. He says, have you ever noticed that Christ sometimes describes the Christian way as very hard and sometimes is very easy? Remember, Jesus said the pathway is what? It's narrow. It's not wide. How can Jesus be saying all of these things simultaneously? Sometimes Jesus will say, take up your cross. In other words, it's like being beaten to death in a concentration camp. And the next minute he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He means both, and one can see why both are true. My prayer is simply that we will continue as faithful followers of Jesus to follow him with duty, with rigor, with discipline, and with passion, and embrace the lightness of the life of service with Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn towards you and give you peace. And remember we were told that the yoke of Jesus, he doesn't just put it on us without lifting a finger, he comes with us. And so we remember as we leave here, we leave with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the love of God, and with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We're going to sing a song, and as we sing this song, uh, some of the elders will be in the back, I'll be in the back. If you want somebody to pray with, if you want to talk about where your life's at, we just invite you to come to the back while we stand and sing this next song together.